The birth of Jesus Christ, Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Well, eight days ago... There was a widely celebrated birth. Two celebrities, Kanye West, the rapper, and Kim Kardashian had a baby. There were a few medical complications, but since the baby was born in one of the best hospitals in the United States, with the best doctors, best nursing staff, everything came out fine after a few days in the hospital. They were able to go home. Their fans were waiting anxiously for news of the birth. Upon birth, the news went out over the media, the social media, by word of mouth throughout the world. Saint West had been born. A bit of an ironic name, I think, perhaps. And Saint West was welcomed as a baby celebrity into the world. And it was hard to avoid finding out about the birth because of their celebrity parents, his celebrity parents. Quite a contrast we will find out today from the birth of the Son of God himself. Now next week, we will look at the birth of Jesus from a heavenly perspective, from Revelation chapter 12. But today we're looking at Jesus' birth from an earthly perspective. 
Jesus, the Messiah, the very Son of God, God Himself had come to be born on earth. This is big news. (laughs) But as we all see today, God chose to send His Son into this messy world in the most unwelcoming way. And when he did so, he showed us the character of God and he showed us the plan of God to bring a redemption to the entire world in a most surprising way. Today, may we see the Christmas story with fresh eyes. Lord, as we look into this story that is so familiar to us, may we have our eyes opened and our hearts opened to let your spirit speak to us in a fresh way today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we want to look at the unwelcoming setting. <clears throat> but let me say that we all know the story of Jesus, right? We've heard it since we were little kids. We know it well, right? Wrong. <laughs> I promise you that today you'll see it differently than you ever have before. Why? Because our ideas of Jesus' birth are much more from tradition than from the scriptures. So let's look at the unwelcoming setting in which Jesus was born. And keep in mind that God could have sent his son to be born at any time in history, at any place in history. And yet here's what he chose. The setting. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Caesar Augustus. This was the very height of the Roman Empire. Caesar was known as the greatest emperor. He had temples built to him. Herod, in the area of Palestine, had built three temples to worship Augustus as a god. He was called Savior and Lord by the people. Burning incense to him as a god became a sign of loyalty to Rome. And remember... This was the Roman Empire. Israel was occupied territory and had been for some 500 years. It was an insignificant, oppressed outpost on the very edge of the Roman Empire. And so Caesar Augustus calls for a census. The Jews hated the idea of census. They hated the idea of paying taxes to Rome. They hated everything about it. And this was disruptive to their lives. Because the census was so that they could make sure, the Romans could make sure that they were getting all the taxes that they needed to carry out their corrupt lives. The taxes supported corrupt officials, the oppressing army of Rome, the ungodly lifestyles of the Roman leadership, and it supported the worship of pagan gods, the building of temples and the worship that went on throughout the Roman Empire. This was hated by the Jews that our taxes have to go to support that. We're told that Joseph and Mary were from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was a little town in Galilee, far away from the centers of power in Israel, a town, as far as we know, of about 400 people. And think about that. In a small town, everybody knows everybody's business, right? (laughs) And Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. Think what that meant to her being pregnant in that setting. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 2, it says, 
what becomes of an illegitimate child in Israel of those days. No one, it says, of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So you can imagine what it was like for Mary being pregnant in this small town. In a shame-based society, it was shameful to her family and to her entire community that she was pregnant out of wedlock. And how would she explain it? Oh, no, really, Joseph and I didn't sleep together. No, it's really the Holy Spirit. Sure, right, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. So she was an outcast in her own town, in her own community. Later, they brought Jesus back there to grow up. Gail Irwin, in his little book, Jesus Style, says this. Though we know that's not what Jesus was, an illegitimate child, the world viewed him differently. If you were seeking to be recognized as God, you wouldn't want this sort of thing on your record. Any opponents would have buckets of mud to sling in your face. The whispering campaign would be devastating. But multitudes of people who had borne the taunts of the world would now find one whose birth would not intimidate them, one who could redeem even them. How utterly vulnerable he made himself to the caustic world. And then notice verse 2. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, why is that put in here? Well, I think he's giving the, the setting, but given our current situation with refugees, here's a very interesting truth. You see, Nazareth, in those days... The Roman province of Syria extended down into what now is part of Israel. Nazareth was part of the Roman province of Syria. Now think about the implications of that for a minute with me. So when Jesus ended up, when when Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, and then, remember Joseph, it's told in Matthew 2, was told in a dream, flee for your lives because Herod wants to kill the child. And so... Jesus and the family, Joseph and Mary, fled to Egypt. If anyone had asked them while they were there, where are you from? They would have said Syria. You see, they were Syrian refugees. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus was a Syrian refugee. I wonder what that says about our current situation. That God himself chose to come and become a refugee and become a actual Syrian refugee. So Syria was also the home of the zealots who hated Rome. Galilee, this whole area of Syria, was a hotbed of rebellion. Commentator put it this way, the Jews already hated their pagan conquerors and censuses were forbidden under Jewish law. The assessment was greatly resented by the Jews and open revolt was prevented only by the efforts of the high priest Joazar. As it was, the census did trigger the revolt of Judas of Galilee and the formation of the party of the zealots, according to Josephus. So all that's going on here in this very area is a place of rebellion against Rome, foment against Rome, anger at Rome. This is where God chose to put his son. Why not a safer place? (laughs) Why not a place with a nice hospital and doctors and nurses? Now let's look at the unwelcoming birth 
obviously a very unwelcoming setting for the child to be born in. But let's look at the birth itself. Verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Joseph had to travel with Mary, who was about ready to give birth. From Nazareth to Bethlehem, it's about 90 miles by foot. Did Mary ride on a donkey? Well, all our pictures say that, right? (laughs) Actually, we don't know. Did she walk it? Or did she perhaps ride on a donkey? I'm guessing that if you were pregnant, riding on a donkey would not be very comfortable. And I don't know about walking. Uh, I remember when Jeannie was almost, well, she was a full nine months pregnant, anxious to give birth with one of our kids. And we decided to get together with another couple. She was also nine months pregnant. They were trying to spur the birth along, get labor started. So we decided to play tennis together. (laughs) I don't think I've ever gotten more exercise in a tennis match because she couldn't move. I had to chase down every ball. If it came right to her, she could hit it, but that was it. And I'm thinking about Mary here. 90 miles she had to travel. This is a pretty unwelcoming event. I can't imagine what she went through. Let me show you a picture of the kind of territory she had to travel through. This was not easy. Now, possibly she traveled down to the Jordan River and then traveled along, but when she got to Jericho, the lowest city on earth, she would have had to climb 3,500 feet through difficult terrain to get to Bethlehem. The next picture shows you part of that road on the way up from Jericho. She had to have been exhausted. It had to be difficult. Someone in good shape would take five days to walk that far. I imagine it took substantially longer. This was not an easy way to get ready for birth. (laughs) And then notice in verse 6 and 7, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the guest room. The word for in is really not a good translation. It's there because of tradition. There are other words that could have been used in Greek for a commercial inn, somewhere where you would pay to stay. The word is really guest room. If you just turn back a few pages to Mark chapter 14, verse 14, when Jesus is setting up the Passover feast with his disciples, he says, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Mark 14, 14. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? This is a guest room. My guess is that this was a home of one of Joseph's relatives, right? He's, he's from, he has family there. He's, he's originally, his family is from Bethlehem, descended from David, and that they went to some of his family, and they said, we have no room for you in our guest room. You can hang out in the fields, but you don't, we don't have room for you here. My guess is that they were experiencing the same kind of community rejection that they experienced in Nazareth because she's pregnant out of wedlock. This is shameful to Joseph's family as well as to hers. And then we see here that Jesus is laid in a manger. 
No one could offer a bed, even a portable playpen. <laughs> no, a manger. Well, what was a manger? Well, let me show you a picture of one. This is what you find all throughout Israel. They're stone. Does that look comfortable to lay a baby in? <laughs> and imagine these are where the animals feed. And, and, and the mangers typically were not in the stable. They were not in the cave, perhaps, where they penned up the animals. The feeding happened out in the field. It could have been in a section of a house. Some scholars think that there was a manger, that there would have been a little area in a section of a house where they would feed the animals. But there's a couple of reasons why I think this was actually in an open field, this manger. But I wanted to try to get a picture of Jesus, you know, in the manger, but I couldn't find one. This is as close as I could come. (laughs) But just so you know, this is definitely not Jesus. (laughs) You know, when the angels in verse 12 said, go and find the baby, what did they say? They didn't say, go look in a house, go look at this address, go look for a stable or a cave. What did they say? Look for a manger. My guess is the manger was out in the middle of a field. Jesus was laid in a, in a stone trough where animal saliva and dirty hay, half-eaten hay was. The area trampled by animals around it as they came to feed. Can you imagine a less welcoming situation? And then read verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths. Now those of you who have had children, you women... Isn't this kind of laughable? I mean, you think, okay, this is written by a man. Yeah, she just gave birth, you know? Not a big deal. She's probably 16 years old, her first child. She's alone. At this time, a third to a half of women who gave birth died or the child died. There is no hospital No doctors, no nurses, and apparently no one else helping. Because notice what it says. It says she wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in the manger. If there had been any midwives, any other family, if Joseph had been conscious, (laughs) probably someone else would have actually done the wrapping and the laying. But like most husbands, Joseph was apparently helpless. And she's all alone. As she goes through the pain of labor, transition, eventually giving birth and having to deal with it on her own. Think about this. God becoming man. God himself choosing to become one of us. He could have come to a palace or a middle class family or a different time where there was better health care. He could have come in any other way and he came in the most unwelcoming way Possible, it seems to me. I can't imagine a less welcoming way. Jesus came to a hostile world. He came in a way that caused him to face political hostility, to become a refugee. He came in a way where he had to face family hostility. He came in a way where he had to face community hostility. He faced economic hostility because he was born into poverty and he came into environmental hostility, being born in an open field. No one can say, I've had it tougher than Jesus. (laughs) Jesus doesn't understand. (laughs) Yes, he does. 
So he came into a most unwelcoming setting and he came in a most unwelcoming birth. And then we see the humble birth announcement. Verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Notice our songs often say flocks by night, but it's one flock. One set of shepherds watching one flock. So probably there were only two or three shepherds there. This is not a great audience for the heavenly choir, my friends. Again, Gail Irwin expands on this. He says, since God chose to go with a choir, I would have recommended that he follow the chain of command and go to the Sanhedrin first, or at least use his energies wisely and go to the marketplace and get the announcement to the greatest number of people in the shortest time. But no, he persists in picking a desolate spot. What if you'd been one of the members of the angelic choir chosen to announce the birth? For 200 years, you've been practicing and anticipating the glorious presentation. (laughs) Everything is in perfect tune and timing for the concert of the ages. For 100 years, they've been building a stage in the sky for that great moment. Then Gabriel says, he's born. You're on, fellas. The curtains are pulled back and you see the crowd. Three shepherds. What a letdown. Okay, someone asks, who was in charge of the posters? (laughs) There was no social media. There's no TV. There was no way to get the word out other than these angels that break through from heaven. But who are they singing to? Two or three shepherds. And these were shepherds. Leon Morris puts it this way. As a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. The nature of their calling kept them from observing the ceremonial law, which meant so much to religious people. They worked on the Sabbath. They couldn't worship. More regrettable was their unfortunate habit of confusing mine with thine as they moved about the country. They were known as thieves. They would take whatever they needed. They were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give testimony in the law courts, according to the Talmud. They came from a despised class. And yet this is whom God chose to announce, do the birth announcement to. Shepherds were hard. They were loners. They were lowlifes. They didn't bathe. They were the nobodies of the first century Jewish world. If you wanted someone to take the message of Messiah arrived on earth, you would not choose them. But God did. God chose them. And they were tough guys, but when they saw the angels, it says they were absolutely terrified. They freaked out. They weren't so tough after all. And they get this message From the angel and then from the choir, joy has come for everyone on earth. Messiah has been born. He's the true Lord and Savior of the universe, not Augustus. This is a radical political statement. Augustus is not Savior and Lord. Jesus is Savior and Lord. This is a statement about a kingdom that's alternative to the kingdoms of earth. And it's all centered on this little baby wrapped in cloths because Mary didn't have any Macy's PJs to put on him. And he's lying in a feed trough. 
And the angels say, this baby will bring glory to God and peace to all men on earth. Augustus was known for bringing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, through power of their armies and control of their enemies. But the angels are declaring, you'll never find peace through political means, through power, through might. And if we look around us today, we know that's true. Real peace on earth for every human being can only come through Jesus. And yes, the message ends. Shepherds, God is pleased with men. Shepherds, rejects, outcasts, God is pleased with you. So what is the shepherd's response? Well, it says that they went and they saw. (laughs) They said, let's go. We got to see this, this baby. And so they go and found the manger, it says, found the family. And they told the others what they had been told by the angels. Now, it's clear in Scripture that that news did not go very far. No one believes shepherds anyway, right? And notice it's very interesting when it says, when they'd seen this, verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Well, of course they wondered. They wondered and they probably went, these shepherds are nuts. Angels appeared to them. They got the birth announcement. No way. They're making this up. And apparently they didn't pass it on because there's no evidence that anyone else got the message. Nobody believed the shepherds except one person. Mary. Verse 19. Everybody else just wondered about it. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. They worshipped. They'd heard from God and they worshipped and praised and honored him. Now, wait a minute. These are shepherds. They're considered incapable of true worship. They can't go to the temple. They're, they don't take the Sabbath off. These guys can't worship. No, they worshipped. <laughs> when God is moving, do we see, do we tell others, and do we worship God for what he has done? So what do we learn about God and about his kingdom and about us from this amazing way that God chose to enter the earth? Well, first, about the kingdom of God. What do we learn? Number one, it's an alternative kingdom. It is not part of our earthly kingdom. You can't see yourself as a citizen of both, really. N.T. Wright describes the contrast in his commentary as he talks about Augustus, who declared his dead adoptive father, Julius Caesar, to be divine and styled himself to be the son of God so he would be worshipped. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was its king. He was its lord. Increasingly, in the eastern part of the empire, people worshipped him as a god. But the point Luke is making is clear. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability and the kingdoms of the world. Number one, the kingdom of God is an alternative kingdom. 
Number two, it's subversive. The kingdom of God comes behind the scenes through poor nobodies like you and me. To change the world for Christ. It's not flashy. It's not popular. It's not powerful from a worldly perspective. That's never God's way. It's subversive. It works behind the scenes. And number three, the kingdom is centered on Jesus. It's all about Him. He is King and Lord. And the kingdom never exalts man. Or our institutions that we put together, even the churches, it exalts Jesus alone. What do we learn about God? Well, number one, he reveals himself in humility, in weakness. So no matter who we are, we can identify with him and know he's identified himself with us, no matter how low we may feel. Secondly, we learn that God has a heart for the outcast, for the unpopular, for the rejected, because that's who he was on earth. That's how he chose to come. And third, we learn about God that he loves us so much. He's willing to go to any length to reach us with his love. What do we learn about us? Number one, that we are a mess. (laughs) More than we ever realized. God had to stoop so low to reach us. But it also means that our weakness and our need and our brokenness in this world is no barrier to his great love. Secondly, we learn we're favored by him. He does love us and he will do whatever it takes to reach us. And third, we learn about ourselves that our calling is to walk in his steps. That is, our calling is to walk in humility in this world. If he came that way, so should we. So the way that we are to live our lives is not to seek power or status Influence, but rather to identify with and love those Jesus identified with at his birth. The poor, the outcast, the powerless, the needy, the least of these. As Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of these, you did it to me. You see, Jesus came as one of the least of these. So we are loving him. When we love the outcasts of society. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this story with fresh eyes, it's amazing how you chose to come in the most unwelcoming way into a hostile environment, into a hostile community, into hostile conditions, into poverty. But thank you that you chose to come this way because that proves that you've made room for us in your heart, no matter who we are, no matter how far down we've fallen, no matter how big our struggles, you meet us there. And for that, we give you praise and thanks. May we be worshipers like the shepherds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.